Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host, Mark Kaler. And today we have Captain Griffin Manchester with us. How you doing, Griffin? Doing good. How are you doing? Good, good. We had your brother on episode, I think, five or six. Yep, uh, yep. Yeah, Willie. Willie was on here. He's was quite, on here. quite the character. Yeah, uh, he had a lot to say about you off the air, but nothing. Oh, no, nothing, really on, on nothing on the air, of course. But um, I, without assuming you guys have similar backgrounds in, in your introduction in the commercial fishing industry, why don't you give us a give us a go of how it got started for you? Yeah, so for me, I started uh, fishing right out of high school, Bristol Bay, uh, working for my uncle. Um, he's also part owner in Cornelia Marie, and and you know, like all fishing, it's all very uh close and tight-knit and uh everybody's related to everybody right so um i worked for him uh paid for college uh which was really cool and flight school um all off working in bristol bay and then when i got done with college i uh worked for trident uh on the fishing vessel billiken with casey mcmanus um, did that and crabbing for a couple of years and then I went over to another company Icicle and uh, did some dragging and and in the summer we always had our, our salmon boat um, fishing and then we got another salmon boat the Finnegan and, and then Willie and I were competing against each other you, you got, like just crammed your whole fishing career in about two minutes yeah exactly let's, let's so go, let's go back yeah. to your first experience of uh, yeah. what brought you to Alaska and what was that like yeah so I was like 18 years old you know and you don't know anything at all and uh you know it's like you just graduate high school and you're kind of getting ready for college and like okay well i got three months off i have no idea what's going on and and uh so we go up there and, and you fly up and uh you go to a great town like dillingham and uh you get off the airplane and basically it's a gravel road a bunch of mud puddles and it's pouring down rain and then you get in a ride from whoever's willing to give you a ride there it's not like you have a ride planned or there's a taxi or anything else it's a pickup truck and it's usually pretty beat up and all the crews in the back and there might be two captains that are lucky enough to sit inside and everybody else is outside soaking wet and your bags are just thrown in there and that's the way it is and everybody's happy and you're soaking wet, dirty. And what, what year was this? This is 2004. Okay. So, welcome to Alaska. Right. Um, then, you have no idea where you're going, what the boat looks like. You get into this boatyard and you drive through some of the biggest puddles you've ever seen. Um, you get to the boat, and then there's no ladder to get on the boat, so you throw your bag up there, and then you're climbing up the side of an aluminum boat that's on a set of blocks or maybe on a set of 55 gallon drums um <laughs> and, and, and you know it's quite the uh like 15 foot 20 foot scale to get on top and it's like what am i doing here and how do these boats get off this and how do they get to the water what and you know nothing about how you're even going to catch a fish how all, the net all works brand new experience all brand new exactly but um, it was your uncle's boat though yeah it was my uncle's boat but i mean still you hear stories and you know christmas or that and you know you don't really ever think about it much and then you get there and it's like wow this is this is happening this is it this is the real deal <laughs> so yeah it was i mean you definitely remember it too because it's just vivid and it's an experience that 
you know, it's like the Twilight Zone. I guess when you first get there, it's like, wow, this is... Now, what was your uncle's boat? The first boat was the uh, Snowy River. It was a hydraulic fishing supply, like it's called a Vito boat. Um, made, I think, in the early 80s um, in Anacortes uh, in, in Bristol Bay. So it's a 32-foot boat, and I think it was 12 feet wide. Um, it was a nice boat, safe boat, um, but, you know, definitely a 32-foot boat in Bristol Bay. It's not the uh, luxury yacht that you're hoping for, right? And it's Well, they have a limit on the size of boats up there, don't they? Yep, so it's 32 feet is maximum length. Um, but you can go wide, right? You can go wide. You can make it real wide and <laughs> bathtub. What and, size is your boat? 32 by 32. Yeah, 32 <laughs> by 32. That's about it. Um and it, yeah, it, it's, and they all don't steer at all. And so they're always squirreling around and it's always a workout to steer them around. And then, um, I, Bristol Bay, I, you've had other guys on the show talk about Bristol Bay. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it Bristol Bay is a battle. I've Every, been in Bristol Bay. It's, yeah. it's, it's the last, uh, frontier of, you know, still cowboy zone for fishermen. It, really. Yeah. Or what they call like an Olympic fishery. So there's no quota nothing else you buy you buy your permit and it's catch all you can while you're in your period in your district and uh you know it's pretty much go as much as you can as hard as you can as hard on your equipment hard on your boat hard on your net hard on your crew and uh it really is kind of the separates the men from the boys the winners from the losers and you showed up at 18 18 on your, on your uncle roger's yep. boat on my uncle Kari's boat. Under Kari's boat. Yeah, Kari. Yeah. And uh, so how was that first year experience? I, it, it was good. The, You know, at first you get used to it, and, and uh, we we had a good season. Um, when I was there, you got to remember, like, like Bristol Bay Saka, he's a commodity, right? So it, the price of fish was really low. Um, so a lot of guys were really bummed out on it, but... For me, when you're 18 and you make $10,000, you know, in in a month, I'm like wow, that that was a lot of money in 2004 to me. But you know, today it probably should have been 15 or 20, and you know, but at the time it was great, and I have no com no complaints. Uh, great experience, um, and really kind of just teaches you how to work hard. Um, and it gives you a different experience and you get to meet a lot of different people and uh you know everybody's out there for themselves and it's a great business experience too right because you know if that guy has a true problem you're going to be there and you're going to help him out but if you're catching a lot of fish and you're out there you're not going to call the guy over there to help take your fish away from you so it it, it teaches you a lot how to act in business and just you know how how life goes from the front combat line too. Yeah, from know. the front combat line too. Yeah, and he in in back then too. I mean, you you could be going along and some guy doesn't like you and he's just gonna ram you in the boat and that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. It's calmed down a little bit now, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you it's battle boats out in Bristol Bay and uh, it's definitely they had a show on it. I think it was called the uh, Bristol Bay Brawlers. And it didn't do justice to how chaotic uh, the Bristol Bay fishery is. It really didn't. I've never even heard of the show. Was that? 
it was on uh, Discovery Channel. Um, it had a couple of, of other Trident fishermen like ourselves. Uh, and it, it was on it, and it didn't show very well because they didn't portray the, the actual real, fishery. The yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and you already have the uh, hard aspect of being on a 32-foot boat with four guys on there, and now you're going to put a camera crew on the boat, and it just doesn't work out so well. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 Bristol Bay is a different animal. Yeah. So. Is that the only fishery you've done? No. So, um, I also seined, uh, in Southeast Alaska. Uh, totally different experience. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did that in college, um, in Petersburg on a, uh, boat named the Freedom, uh, another Trident guy, I believe now, a guy named Bruce Merfern. Um and I think that the boat has been completely redone. It flipped over a couple of years ago, but uh, completely different. You're definitely in a processor-controlled fishery where they tell you, you know, you can get a hundred thousand pounds in this four-day opener. Go whack them, and you might be done in a day. And then you have three days off, and you go to town and hang out. Spend that money. Spend your money. Go talk to the girls. If you're old enough to go to the bar, or you can sneak in, well, then that's everybody what everybody does. does. That, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and completely different in a little bit bigger boat. Uh, How big was she? It was uh, 48 feet when wow. I was on it at the time. Now, that's, think, a, that's a yacht in Bristol Bay. Yeah, that would be a yacht. And I think now it's like... 56 or something it's been sponsored widened um and i have to bring out the old pictures um and actually out of out of that experience i actually worked with uh, uh derek siebold that uh just passed away on the destination that was my uh, roommate on the freedom so kind of sad story to that but great guy i it, it actually also shows how close it does our industry is yeah it know? does and it, it, it it's pretty sad for me because there's a guy i worked with you know and and uh, slept with yeah yeah basically well not well not yeah not not on that end, but yeah we're uh, not out of those stories yet but yeah no exactly but, i mean share a stateroom with yeah yeah exa exactly so you, you get pretty close with the guy and then you both drift away and then you know it was what two years ago you know you get a phone call and it's like gone gone and you, you know that guy so that's pretty pretty hard on you so but uh, yeah, no, we had a great time, and and, uh, and I look back, that was it. It was a lot of fun fishing in the summer. Southeast is beautiful. It's where all the cruise ships are. Um, if anybody ever gets a chance, take the cruise ship, do the Southeast Alaska deal, or get um, a job tendering for a or, summer, or get a job tendering, or leave Seattle, or, take that inside passage yeah, job. Inside passage, exactly. That's uh, and you definitely. And even today, I mean, somebody goes, hey, if I have four days off, I'd definitely go on that inside passage on the tender and yeah. go fly home. I mean, that, that's probably one of the best experiences you can have on a boat. I mean, real. I mean, you know, you have the Caribbean experience and all that, but it, as far as mountains, driving up through there, it, it, it is just beautiful. That's the Blue Angels you're here flying over right now. But I want, I want to pull you back just a minute because you were – not that I want you to get emotional, but you, you were right there. And I just want to touch on that point that 
in our industry, they're all, we're all connected. It's it, like you knew someone that knew someone, or yeah, exactly. And it, 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 I think it's hard on everybody um, once something like that happens because we're so connected, you know. And and here, you know, I guess snowmobiling with the owner of that boat. Um, I worked with one of the guys, and then his brother worked with me too. And then you know, it's it's it gets pretty close. What's amazing about it is after the destination went down. Um, the entire fleet, when I, and I, I say this over and over again, when I say the word fleet, I'm not talking about the Trident fleet, I'm not talking about the Icicle fleet, I'm talking about the fleet in general. Um, everybody came behind that to, for the fundraisers and the memorials. and Yeah, and, and I really wish, and I don't like want to count dollars, but I mean, I, I think a lot of people threw a lot of money down that you would never even, you know, know all the way down to like you know a couple of electricians the guys that work on the hydraulics everybody that works on the boats not just the guys that worked on them or other owners or other processors you know everybody entire you know fishery wide really steps up in those in those times and that's pretty cool do you remember um eric etter from the seeker i don't i i remember hearing the story um terrible story again fell overboard and they never found him and I, I hate those stories um but but they happen but they yeah. do happen yeah and, and i uh, think the community came behind his family yeah. really strong too exactly um same thing there was another boat probably was it 95 with the northwest mariner and same same thing those kids gone through college was paid for in in a, in a great thing so um and, and that shows how close the community is, how great it is. Um, you know, but what are we, 4,000 people, 5,000 people? It's, it's really small. It is. It, it really is. And, and um, you can almost not touch someone in our industry without knowing, what do they call that? The layers of separation or how do they put it? Yeah, like seven that? degrees of seven separation. Degrees? Or in the, our industry, the, it's like the, two degrees. Yeah, or the... Or seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? So you can find any other actor that's been in a Kevin Bacon movie. And you can do that in our industry within two. Yeah, exactly. Um, You and I have never sat down together before today, right? But yet, you mentioned Jim McManus. I I know Jim personally. You know Jim personally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And great guy. Um, You know, and the the other thing, like I'll touch on it too, is like, so then you look at Jim, and then you look at Casey. I grew up with his son deadliest catch captain or whatever else and um good guy and i'm sitting there and i work for a regional airline i I can't say names because i'm not authorized to do that on on this podcast but uh a great company but i'm sitting there going through training and we got a couple of guys there and just die hard deadliest catch fans right and so i'm like yeah i know all these guys right and and you know they're sitting there like yeah, the, the Scriff guy here, he's probably full of shit. Full of shit. So, uh, all right, I get on the phone, you know, on a break. I'm like, hey, Casey, these guys just love you. Send, send me some shirts or whatever you can send me, blah, blah, blah. We'll work it out when I get home. And, what you know, what does Casey do? He, he gets his wife he to send up. it. He, it's he, all yeah, out. Yeah, he gets his wife to send it because he's in Alaska. Get all these shirts and T-shirts. And then this guy's, oh, you know, and it's like Christmas for them because now they have signed, you know, Deadliest Catch, Discovery Channel stuff, and and uh, it that's how small the industry really is. It, so it's that, it's, it is that small. It is. It is yeah. that small. 
It really is, and it is a pretty cool thing. It really is. So, I mean, other than the fact that everybody knows what everybody else is doing, but... Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on the point that... So, fishing wasn't dangerous enough for you, right? So, you thought you'd get in a capsule that flies through the air at 500 miles an hour. So, not only are you the captain of a boat, but you also are a pilot. Yes, ex- yeah. I, in You're kind of splitting... Yeah, two kinda, dangerous jobs there at the same time. Kind of, and they both started at the same time, right? So I went fishing right out of high school, and I was going to uh, uh, flight school, you know, starting in the fall, normal school schedule, um, and went to a community college, a Big Bend Community College in Moses Lake, great flight school. But I was able to pay for that by fishing. So I get. I guess you could say that it was just dangerous all year long, or a break between them, whatever you want to say. One danger financed the other. Yeah, one danger financed the other, and and, uh, and kind of my two loves, fishing and flying. So I've been able to keep both of those going, and and it's it it's been entertaining for me. And then and, and then you get married later on. And I, then, I was gonna say I see the ring. Yeah. So then you get married, and then then the wife, you know. Then she has to put up with both of them too. So you know, at least you're not always talking about one thing. You know, you got like the car guy or the motorcycle guy. And you got to have at least two things to talk about, not just one. So not the one. Yeah. I can talk about fishing or flying and still bore her to death, but she puts up with me. Well, you're so. gonna you're gonna be building a new boat here, or thinking about it. Yeah. So we're we're thinking about building a, a new boat for the Bristol Bay fishery. Um, we've. We own two boats at the moment. We've been leasing one out with kind of marginal success. Um, with the permit or without the permit? With no, without the permit. We both permits are are on our other boat that we had rebuilt. Um, so why would you put two permits on one boat? The advantage of putting two permits on one boat. So in, in Bristol Bay, one permit gets you 150 fathoms in net. The second permit gets you another 50 fathoms. Um, and the advantage to that is you've already paid for all the bills on that boat, the insurance, uh, the crew, everything else. And just that extra, um, 50. 50 fathoms is, uh, 300 feet. Yeah. It well, it's 300 feet, but it's just extra money. Basically. I mean, you, is it 300 feet? Well, it's 50 times six. So that's 300 feet. Yeah. So you won. I mean, if you, <laughs> it, you have a 900 foot net or you have a 1200 foot net and then in the 1200 foot net extra catches you a lot more fish than you know simple math with the same maintenance cost. with the same maintenance cost same operational cost and you know everything else smart so, move so yeah it, it works out can um, you add another permit then or, or are you kind of capped or two it's two permits so so a boat that has two suit two permits is usually called like a double d or they'll call them a d boat um just because it's a dual permit mm-hmm. um the one downside to that is if you do get a infraction for doing something that uh you shouldn't the, the state of alaska doesn't want you to do uh both permit holders take a hit so it, you know a four thousand dollar fine is now an eight thousand dollar fine and uh, the guy on the back deck may not even be running the boat, and now he faces a violation too because the guy running the boat didn't do it right. So. You got to depend on your captain, right? Yeah, you got to depend on. So that's why most dual permit boats is you know family or somebody related. Um, 
so they can deal with that. So your your boat currently, Willie's running that now, is that correct? Yeah, my, my brother runs it, and then we have the other permit in my dad's name. Um, and I, because of my flying, I've never been able to have a permit in my name. Um, the problem with it is that the way the state of Alaska and anybody treats fishing violations is uh, it, it will either be a misdemeanor, a felony, or a fish and game violation, and I'm a security clearance holder, and that would totally in, destroy and my flying career. So um, it's kind of sad in that aspect because you know here you are doing it all the right way, doing it the right way, trying to make a living, and maybe you make a mistake and you don't have your net on board, and there's 20 seconds left in the opener, and the airplane happens to see you. And now you're in it, it, trouble. It, it could and, be just that close. And, and it can be, because they got an airplane flying around over the top of you. And, and But you're and, trying to pull your net in. And he's got the camera rolling, and bang, you know. It's not like you're out there trying to... Let's get that extra three minutes. Yeah, or you know? defraud somebody, right. or, or, hey, you know, we're, we're out here, or bang, you know. Oh, all of a sudden the motor quits. Well, now you're in trouble, and you, you're going to pay for it. But, you know, it's not like they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we... No big deal. You got a flat tire. We understand you're on the side of the road. Like, nope. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. You're you're paying the fine. So it's 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 an interesting fishery in, in a lot of regards. In if all you ever hear about the Bristol Bay fishery is it's combat. Yeah, and that's what it is. It, it is. And uh, I think this year, where my brother was, uh, you know, was he in the noosh? It was in the noosh. Everyone was in the noosh. Well, and it's the place that had fish. And it, well, that's what everybody says, and that that's kind of our home base, and we fish the noosh, you know. And now there's 750 other boats out there. Well, a thousand, <laughs> and that's where we fish. Um, and now you normally have 400 to 500 boats, and now you have a thousand boats and 1,200 permits, I believe, at at, at the top of it. So. Then you get desperation from guys that don't ever fish there, and now they see a guy show up with, you know, a big load, and then you have people following you. So now you start to start playing that game, and and talk about a stress builder for my brother. I mean, I, I don't know how he got through this year. I mean, he had a great year. He's probably but, drinking right now. Well, yeah, that's why I don't think he answers the phone today. <laughs> we should have brought him on. Just ask him about his stress level. Uh, you uh, so you've been going up for years now. I mean, yeah, I pretty much every year, and then the last three, four years, I've really slowed it down. Um, Sped it up in the air. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Is that where you see your career choice going then, towards the air? Um. Well, it can't be all the way because you're building a new boat. Yeah, right? exactly. No, I I like a balance. I mean, if one starts to take over the other i think i'll slow down the one and and throttle up on the other yeah you just gotta have a little balance i don't so so your life is a twin screw right now yeah just, exactly just keep yeah. adjusting to yeah keep it pointed towards the wind keep it going straight yeah. now and uh you know I, I like i've always said i like both of them um if you had to choose that's a tough one isn't it that's a tough one i if I had to choose, I don't know, maybe McDonald's or something and just throw them both away. Really? Yeah, no, I don't know. I 
I enjoy both. They both have their thing, right? So, you have, you know, like, in the fishing industry, for me, it's, with lack of a better term, it's more cowboyish, right? We don't have all this training. You go out, you're kind of your own hunter-gatherer, uh, very self-reliant. Um, you don't have anybody else really helping you. You're out in the middle of the sea or middle of the bay, and... You know, it's not like somebody's radioing you or telling you how much fuel you need to have on board or, you know, where they think this is going to be. And then with flying, you know, I basically show up to the airplane. The mechanics have it all ready. You have a gate agent. You have a dispatch release that gives you exactly your route, where you're going to go. You put it into a computer and, you know, bang, you're gone. Um, and sure, do you, both of them have a huge reliability or responsibility on, on your part, right? But as far as the planning for it fishing i mean you're it's you it's off you, the hip. Yeah, yeah yeah that's it and it's from the hip and the captain is the guy that has the whole responsibility you are the man um and you bomb out everybody's looking at you so you know it's like wow that that really didn't work out very well today <laughs> and you know they can't really say anything to you at the galley table when you're having dinner and it's like hey grip uh Today sucked. Nobody's going to say that to you, but you, you get the point pretty quick that nobody wants to talk to you because you just probably worked them to the bone and they didn't make any money and you didn't make any money and they're not happy, but they can't express that because they know that then it's just going to be bad for everybody even more. So Bristol, Bristol Bay can be not only the combat side of it, though, but the current side. and I mean, it could be a damn dangerous place to be. Do you, do you remember a time when you were really scared up there? As far as being scared, yeah, I'm. I was fishing. Uh, actually, we were tendering um, in Prince William Sound in the summer, and uh, it's probably little known to most of the population. But Prince William Sound has a icebergs and uh we're cruising around in the middle of the night i'm on the uh, billiken the first trident vessel and uh it was kind of nice because we had most of the crab crew on there which is very rare most tender years you don't have very much of the crab crew because they're either doing something else um they're spending that money yeah they're spending their money or or they try and rotate through just so they get a break um, and it happened to be that a couple of the other hands that they had hired had gotten hurt. So they called me and I had to go fill in and it wasn't very much fun for me. And I really didn't want to be there. Um, being that it was my break cause we had just, I had just gotten done running our salmon boat. And, uh, this is probably like first week of August, second week of August. And, uh, I get up there and tendering's fine and great crew, you know, good captain and, and uh, we're just traveling around middle of the night. We're full, going back to the processor. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm sitting on the couch, relaxing. And uh, and it's just like, bang. I'm like, oh. That's I'm, not normal. That, well, and the first thought that comes to my head, and uh, I was sitting next to Stan Hansen, Sig Hansen's cousin. The two of us were sitting there, and, and we're having like a Pepsi or something, just watching TV on the flat screen there and and the couch moves forward about four feet so i'm like 
Stan, I think we just killed somebody. And uh, and the bow's up kind of high, and, and, you know, like we'd run into a boat, and now we're sitting on top of them. And we open up the galley door there, and we have climbed up on top of an iceberg. And the, and the boat's probably at a five to six degree angle, and we're just sitting there bobbing on this iceberg. And uh, in the middle of the night, you know, just pitch dark, and the thing just looks like a ghost. I, most people haven't seen, like, an iceberg in the middle of the night, and here we are just sitting there bouncing on top of this iceberg. And it just happened to be sloped right, and the boat just climbed up it. And uh, it, it damaged it and bent everything up, but we had no leaks, nothing else. Um, and we were able to get out of there, but I would say probably opening that door and, and looking at that and being like, who was on wheel watch? Well, what the hell is this? What? Well, the captain was on wheel watch. It wasn't <laughs> like we had like a, a 18 year old kid. So, you know, I, and, and, and to his credit, I mean, oh, iceberg doesn't show up on the radar. Yeah. You know, so it, you may not be able to see it and it, it, it was really surreal, pretty scary, and like, well, you kind of go through the thought process of, all right, is this thing going to sink, and I got to get the survival yeah. suit on? Were you scrambling to try to find any leaks? And yeah, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, we did that, and then uh, you pop the voids, and then because it's a void and it's sealed, the oxygen has already like created the rust in there, and then you got to put on the the SCBA you know with oxygen and the the mask if you want to go down in them so we went down in there a couple of us with that mask on and and had to breathe the oxygen because there's no oxygen in the voids um but yeah no that, that was that was pretty scary um you know and it's flat calm too um definitely not like you're rocking around and thinking you're gonna die but um you, you just never know in alaska <laughs> the weirdest stuff can happen um you know, and you guys had the Gladiator a few years ago to rip the whole bottom off, and they were really lucky to get out. Um, the other time, I think, that we were really pushing it, uh, my brother and I were fishing, just completely overloaded the boat, and uh, we were lucky to get to a tender to start offloading because we were sinking the whole time we got there. Um, Risk and reward, right? Yeah, that's, that's what it is. It's all how much of a risk do you want to take for the payoff? And in Bristol Bay, especially, is that fishery where you can fill your boat up like that in 10 minutes and you can keep going and you can sink the boat or you can go deliver and, you know, hope to get it again, but you may not be able to. So, you know, sometimes it works out in your favor to go fill the boat up till it's sinking, call the tender and tell them they need to come get you. It's not like you can just leave your net out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it... It, it's one of those ones where you know pigs get slaughtered hogs get rich right so <laughs> you know it, 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 it and it's really hard to sit there and be like well we need to do this for five more minutes and then we're going to close it off and you know everybody's super excited because the boat's full now but you know, you're going to put another 2,000 pounds on, and now the boat's going to be seriously compromised. In almost every other fishery, you have that time, though. You Pots, for you example. Do, yeah. You can pick them or you can leave them. Uh, or in you Bristol can, Bay, you can't. You, you cannot drop your net. No. You, you're pulling it in or... Yeah. But, I, I mean, pots, 
the crab fishery was that way before rationalization. But even you could argue today, but you didn't have to bring it on board. You, you didn't. Could, you could you didn't, purposely leave it. You didn't have to, but when you were leaving town, you wanted to have as many of them as you had so that you could maximize your time. And even today, you still want to maximize your efficiency because everybody's, you could say, even more pushing you to be more efficient today because there's less boats and you have to be very efficient. And and, uh, the more pots you can carry out there with the less fuel spent, the more money everybody makes. Sure. Everybody's... Well, out there to make the most amount of money. That's how pay works a lot on these boats is uh, the crew pays the fuel, right? Exactly, yeah. And then, so the, the less fuel you burn, the more money you make. Yep, exactly. And, and the more and you take out there with you, the more you bring back. Yep, and everybody is very conscientious of that fact, too, because, you know... Why, why is he doing nine knots right now? Slow down, slow Yeah, down. Or, or why are we taking two loads of pots out there when, you know, hey, guys, let's think about this, you know... Do you want to go home, be there, be safe? Or, hey, should we all go take this risk? And, you know, well, the weather's good today, but in two days it might be bad, but, you know, we're going to push the limit and we'll get 40 of them off right away. And And it's still that way. And it's still that way. It is. And, And as much as the safety aspect as everybody's tried to push it, 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 to get rid of that is almost impossible. Because everybody always wants to be the most efficient or get it done the fastest or high school graduation's coming up and their daughter's going through and they want to be home. Sure. And, it, and it's always going to be All that plays there. a part. It is. It's, and it's always going to be there. And it's in your mind or whatever else. So how do you get it out? You, you're never going to have it. So Do you have any kids yet? No kids yet. Not yet. Now, mind you, he's saying not yet, and he's really flexing his arms like he's good. There's one coming. We just don't know. Well, yet. We, we don't know about that, and I, I can't. The, now, when that happens, do you see your 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 children growing up? Yeah, I'd I'd like him to go to Bristol Bay. Um, That's your home, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a good experience. Um, you know, as far as keeping the business, I think. With my brother and I, I think we'd rather just sell it when we get to retirement, and that that's it. And uh, it might be a global warming thing, or who knows what it is, but I think at that point, let's just get rid of it. Do something else. Good story. Um, grandkids or whatever else can tell the story. We were fishermen. But it, I don't know. I, I don't see it going past probably two, three generations. I really don't. I mean... Pretty much every other major fishery in the world is not existing. So, you know, what is our expiration date? That's uh, the question we have to ask ourselves today, being young fishermen. And uh, Don't you think the sustainability that Alaska is forced on the industry, though, is... Well, it's the best in the world. Yeah. It is. Um, but is it good enough? That's the question. I, I don't know. Yeah. So... You know, you ask yourself, do you want to ride it out to the end? And maybe it works out good. Or do you sell out when you know you can get a paycheck? So, it, you know, it's like anything else. It, you just never know. And maybe Alaska is the exception and they are able to pull it off. That would be great. You know, uh, for example, this year, we actually just talked about earlier, Chignik did not allow them to fish at all. And, and that's it, it's great because they didn't have the fish. Um... But then you have to go back to that underlying question of 
why were the fish, the fish not there? Right. Um, you know, and everybody's scratching their head. Because here, what, they have 50-some boats in Chignik, and there's 50 families, blah, 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 or probably, actually, there's probably five families per boat, so you got 250 families all scratching their head going, what happened? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and then you got guys We're like... We're Robin this year. Yeah, <laughs> ex exactly. And then you got guys like us that are like, well, you know, these guys didn't do very good. Our price is up now, so it's better for us. And that's the way Alaska's always been. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I'd rather just see them do something else <laughs> and not see them struggle like us. Because we've had but, the years But where, you like the struggle, clearly. Well, I think everybody likes the challenge. Um, oh, and that, that's well put. Yeah. The challenge, it, not it's the struggle. A, it's not the struggle, it's the challenge. <laughs> Nobody wants to struggle, but... Well, it's the same as if you were going out to a lake with your dad, right? And dropping a pole in the water. You don't know what you're going to get. Exactly. You don't know what and, size it's going to be. And and you decide on, you know, we're going to have ten rods and we're going to have this special bait. And the guy <laughs> next to you is going to have this bait and that bait. And maybe he even has like a lead sinker and he's trying to like throw it over the top of your lines and right. sabotage you. That's Bristol Bay. And that's Bristol Bay. And that is Bristol Bay. And that's the way it is. But then somehow the guys figure out how to do it right, or they're just really good at it, and, and uh, that's what makes it fun for everyone. That comes with time, though, right? It, I mean, It does, yeah. And, and also, you know, one of my favorite Bristol Bay stories is the first year we have our boat up there. Uh, I see a bunch of fish jumping in. We're on the radio talking to... You have, like, a radio group, so you have, like, four or five guys, and... And it takes about five or six years, and you realize that all it is is just a, a bullshit group for the guys, because nobody ever tells you anything that's <laughs> worthwhile. So, and they're all the same. You can't find somebody that's going to be honest with you about what they're catching. But oh, they have nothing over here. Yeah, or and they're the ones calling for the tender to come in and pick them yeah, up. Yeah, or or they're always catching fifteen hundred pounds every set, and it's like. I, Dude, I know you've made a thousand sets this year, and you do not have a million and a half pounds in this year. So, uh, but it is nice because it provides entertainment and the rest of the stuff. But also, if you do run into problem, like I said before, you have a problem, everybody stops fishing to come get you. Uh, that is and, so and, true. And that's pretty much it. And, and that's what you expect out of them is, hey, we're having a problem. We might be in trouble. Come get us, or we'll come get you, but... Not, hey, I'm, um, you know, I got a $100,000 set on board. Come over here and you'll get one too. No, I'm going to go get another one. And, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about yeah, this part. Tell you yeah. about that part, but it, it is there where you're going to get the help when you need it. But uh, the other aspect is, is not there. So, so, so um, on Facebook, there's this page of Bristol Bay Jobs or Bristol Bay. Uh, you, you may or may not be a, no, in well, that yeah, group. I, I'm. So I'm not on social media at all. I just I don't do it. But uh, my brother, and my dad do it, and, and we've actually hired a guy this year out of that group. I was gonna say, so I see people posting in there going, "Hey, yeah, yeah I... hire me." And uh, we hired a guy, and probably uh, probably the best guy we've hired just off the street. You know, I can't say, "Oh yeah, he's a great guy," but no, really good guy, best guy we've hired. You know, no references because we've hired guys off crab boats or whatever else with. So is social media the new uh, walk in the dock? I don't know. Well, you I hired mean, someone off of it. Uh, we hired somebody off it. Yeah, I, it, 
I when, think, when I started, I you had to walk the dog. Yeah, you had it, to. I would say that you definitely have a good chance, but you definitely also need to have a little bit of experience. Um, but if you're here, that also helps too. You know, yeah. if you go, hey, I'm on this chat. I'm going to be in Naknik or I'm going to be in Dillingham at this time. Well, now great. He shows right you there. took the initiative. You've paid for the plane ticket to be up there you want to be there you've kind of done some effort you might show up with rain gear that's instead, completely subpar instead of sitting on your uh, couch down in uh, south carolina somewhere saying, yeah, hey, i want to uh, do that yeah and <laughs> have nothing to do and at least you're up there making the effort making the effort and having some struggle um i, w- I would ask you at this point what what guys could do to get in but you just explain that very well uh yeah that um you know, it's a, it's a small niche. Um, you know, I would say probably as far as deckhands, I mean, I got great deckhand stories for days. Probably the best deckhand that I ever had was a uh, guy out of Detroit, Michigan. And uh, Any he, experience? Yeah, he'd been fishing for a few years. Um, my brother met him, and he was uh, pot cod fishing out of Kodiak. And... Uh, probably the toughest guy I've ever run into in my entire life. There's a story here. And uh, he was a three-time state wrestling champion in Detroit, or in Michigan, or state state Michigan champion in high school. And uh, the only reason why he wasn't four is because he knocked himself out trying to beat this guy so bad. <laughs> and, and, and just great guy. Um, I mean, 100 20 percent speed all the time um and it, it was just it was fun to work with him because he worked so hard um pushed you actually no 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 didn't push i i was just it, for me it was entertainment because here's this guy just you just look back and like, wow he's really working hard you know my, it, when you're the captain you don't really if somebody's pushing you, then there's a problem, right? The, the guy wants to be the captain, or you're not working hard enough, or you don't know what you're doing, or you're coming across as not being confident in what you're doing. If you if you are good at running the boat, there's not going to be somebody trying to push you like anything else, you know? If you have somebody pushing you, well, then either you have a problem, that guy has a problem, or it's a combination of both of you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we... It, I don't like that, and if if it was that case, it would be like, all right, and then this guy's leaving. I, I was just thinking that like a work work ethic is a uh, almost catchy. You see someone working hard, you well, that's push yourself yeah. a little more. That's you know? yeah, yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, not that he's trying to climb into your captain's chair. Just that well, you yeah, see some no, guy I mean, working that hard, and you're like, oh, I, you know, no, yeah, you definitely respect it, and, and the rest, and maybe you go down there, and when you have a you know, a minute or two here, you go down and try and make him something to eat real quick or something. So he was but, your toughest deckhand? Yeah, by he, far. Just because of the way he worked? Just because of the way he worked. And, and I mean, there's a guy that, like, he's got a hole in his boots. And, like, most guys would be like, oh, this sucks. My, my shoe's and, wet. <laughs> yeah, my shoe's wet. And he just go jump in the hold, knowing that his boot's going to get wet every day. No problem. Whatever else. No just problem. Just get it done. Yeah, and just get it done. I'm like, where's he at now? Do you know? I, I don't know where it, it 
guy's name was Conrad, and I think he's still fishing cod. He ran a boat for cod for a little bit, but I, I don't know. I, I, I got to call him again. He, he, uh, it was pretty entertaining, too. Conrad, good job sticking out, bud. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're about out of time here, Griffin. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming. Oh, it's no, been... we, I, I appreciate it. I mean, we, I could go on for hours, and we could talk about Deadliest Catch guys. We could talk about boats flipping over we can talk about big sets I mean whatever we need to talk we'll, about we'll get those on the next one yeah for we got, sure we gotta bring sure. Willie in too so then you can well, get if the I two put of you us. guys both in the same room it's gonna be really entertaining for everybody I think I, I think so we, we could do that one we, we were no we're going to do that one yeah we need to do that yeah, yeah. yeah we're gonna do that um, all right guys this has been another installment of galley stories um, well before we leave Griffin do you have anything you want to add or no I just Thank everybody for listening and uh, look forward to come back and maybe get my brother and I on there and we can. <laughs> that would be. And uh, got to get some of these other characters on That'd there. That'd be like definitely. two alpha males, right? Yeah. Two alpha wolves walking into the same room. Exactly. And then you got to get some of these old timers like Magni Ness on there. That you know, uh, his son, uh, John Dwayne, contacted me about talking to his dad. And I'd love to talk to his dad. You know, Kari's brother, Kari yeah. Ness's brother. Yeah, and he. he I mean, he's pretty much the pioneer. Magni of, is one of the the pioneer of every single form of fishing <coughs> in the entire world. You know, I, I've heard him explain as the guy that would be like, "Oh well, let's make a new hook. I want yeah. to try this new hook now." Yeah, and, then, and that's his like, problem is he figured it out for everybody, but he shared everything, and then ran off and figured out the next thing. Yeah, and he <laughs> shared everything with everybody, and then ran off and got the next thing. So. The, it, we we call it Magni Nest disease. So you can't have Magni Nest disease in this industry, because you're going to give everybody your secrets for one, and for two you're going to get too bored and have to try chase the next, you know, golden bar somewhere. And we'll have to we'll have to get him on we here. We to get him we'll on see. here. But uh, no, I appreciate everybody listening in, and uh, thank you, and I look forward to coming back. All right, guys. Uh, so again, uh, another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. And uh, please like and share and uh, leave a comment if you would. And we'll see you next time. Well, that one went pretty well.